welcome to Redesigning. I'm your host, Grace, and today we're joined by Sasha Orlov. Sasha, can you give a quick introduction about yourself and puzzle for those who may not know? Sure. Thanks for having me. My name is Sasha Orlov, and I'm currently the founder of a company called Puzzle, a new venture-backed startup. And previously, I worked and founded two other venture-backed startups. And before that, I've worked for a variety of startups and nonprofits and government agencies and multinationals. And uh, here I am sitting at my desk in San Francisco. As someone who's been involved in the creation and leadership of now three companies, what role did design play in those experiences? The one common theme through all of my startups was that design was the very first hire in all of the companies. And so I view that as design plays an incredibly important role, given my last companies grew to hundreds of employees and a hundred million of revenue and millions of customers. Uh, and same thing, first hire of the company was a product designer. So design, I believe, is an important role. It really defines your user experience. It defines what your product stands for. It defines the attention to detail. And so to us, design has a seat at the table in every decision starting from day one. I can see a lot of founders who may retaliate and say, well, I think sales is probably somewhere that we should really aggressively focus on. We want our product to hit the ground running, and we can't do that without a very aggressive sales team. So to those who may think differently, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I sort of view there's no big iconic companies are built by one person. They're built by teams of people who share a common vision. And when you are able to put together a lot of different skill sets in a room, you get a better product, you get better perspectives, you get better opinions, you get better experiences. And so I don't think of it as an either or. There needs to be a clear decision maker in each sort of initiative. In, in our case, product is the decision maker. But if you don't take the inputs of sales, then you're not going to have the best possible outcome. If you don't take the input of marketing, you're not going to have the best possible outcome. If you don't take the input of design, you're not going to have the best possible outcome. If you don't take the input of engineers, if you ignore any of the critical people that are required to build anything of value in the world, then you're just not doing the best job that you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with you on that stance. You mentioned in our previous conversation and just now as well that your first few hires have been design. What if the business is just starting out and they don't have the resources available to very aggressively or heavily invest in user experience? Do you think that they're very much shooting themselves in the foot by not making that their priority from day one? Or is that something that they can eventually catch up on once they find their footing in the marketplace? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, to me, it's one of those things that I never really thought about it. Design was always the first hire because how else do you bring a vision to life? That's the thing that gets people excited. And so in the early days, if you are trying to create an ambitious vision, how do you do that without getting people excited? You can write a vision statement on a piece of paper, but when you have a website and an experience that's thoughtful, that showcases why you're excited and why your product is different, and you create that wow moment for the user, it helps with everything you need in the early days. It helps you attract better engineers if you're building a software company, it helps you attract better salespeople and marketing people because they like selling a product that is awesome. It's much easier to sell an awesome product than it is to sell a mediocre product. It helps you raise capital if you are going the venture route because you have something to look at. 
it evokes emotional excitement about a vision that you're building. How can you have that late? You want to attract the best people. You want to attract the best customers. You want to make everybody's job easier. Mostly your customers. They're the ones that are hopefully paying you for a service. And the right design brings that to life in a better, faster way. You know what you were saying, there are some parallels to it in design. It's known as genius design. It's a way of approaching design that is pretty siloed. It's very much centered on the creator without much concern for the end user. So the entire product is driven by the decisions and the thought processes of the designer, hence why it's called genius design. It's not very popular, but it definitely exists. And there are perils to pursuing that approach. On design, sometimes stakeholders and designers don't always see eye to eye. As a CEO, how do you balance the needs and concerns of stakeholders with the voice of designers who are advocating for users? If everybody's agreeing, then I don't think you've put together the best team to tackle the problem. Um, That's an Sometimes point. it happens, but you have to enable and facilitate a healthy debate amongst people. You have a lot of stakeholders that you need. You have an architect, and maybe in our case, we're building accounting software. So you have experts and subject matter experts in accounting, and you have design, and you have the business goals. That's basically me telling them, here's what we need to do. And you have the board, and you have the fundraisers, and you have your customers. You need to have a, a vocal debate and a trade-off because everybody's going to bring a different perspective. Engineering could build the perfect debtless architecture that takes a long time. But effectively, if you don't make trade-offs, then you're going to spend a lot of time. And the thing that you have constantly working against you in every business that I've ever been in, from big multinationals to nonprofits to startups to early stage startups, late stage startups, is time. And so you have to have that healthy debate because if everybody is aligned and you're running into a brick wall as fast as possible together as a team, that's no good. But at the same time, if you're having endless debate and you never get anything out the door, that's no good either. And so you need to have a clearly defined decision maker. And I generally want to optimize for healthy debate, decision, and the least amount of effort it takes to learn whether the customer actually even cares what you're building. And so you have to make sure that. So product is constantly being torn in every direction, but the designer should be one of the main and strongest advocates for the user and the user's experience to accomplish that problem. So there should be a healthy debate. One of our advisors said, who was a product leader at a bunch of very large successful companies said, my job as a product manager is to make almost everybody just equally unhappy. Uh, along the way. That's when I know I've done my job. <laughs> I laughed. I don't know if I agree, but <laughs> it is it is an interesting way to sort of think about the job. Is everybody's unequally happy, but everybody commits to doing the best job with the time and resources and constraints in front of them. Your answer made me think of the dangers of homogenousness in an organization. Everybody having the same thoughts and ideas it can lead you down a road to nowhere, right? Because there's no there's no clashing happening. There's no tinder burning from those debates about which direction something needs to go in, which is why it's so important to have as diverse people as possible in an organization, right? Bringing different kinds of mindsets, experiences, perspectives, divergences, all those things are so valuable towards contributing to a product and where it's going to end up in. And it's also going to be different at different stages. In the early days, you might not have a lot of users. So it might be a healthy mm -hmm. debate of a lot of opinions. And then as you start to gain traction, you will have more users and you can do more research on real users and let data sort of do the decision. And then if you get really big, you can probably A-B test 
and you can let data inform your decisions. That, that's not the only way to make decisions. You should do qualitative research and you should track what people are using. But for the most part, you have more information to have a more informed discussion. And so I, I think that's a helpful part. But in the early days, that discussion is really helpful um, because it is a lot of subjectivity. And so you need to take people's expertise into account. Right. And I think that stakeholders definitely bring their expertise of keeping in mind the business goals and their own experiences from prior ventures, what actually needs to happen, what needs to be prioritized in order to meet our goals versus designers can bring their expertise on their users. Because if you cut the designer out and there's no middleman between you and the users, the users can tell you everything that they think you want to hear. But the number one rule in UX is you can't trust what the user says. You have to read between the lines and they may say they want one thing and they may think they want one thing, but in actuality, they want something completely different. So being able to differentiate between what they're trying to say and having a designer and stakeholder to balance out everything that's happening in that very, very busy pot of decisions yeah. is really, really important. So you bring up two good points, which is one of the most important things before you get started is alignment around what it is you're trying to accomplish. And so everybody can share their opinion, but you have this filtering mechanism too. What is the goal of what we're accomplished? We're here to accomplish and solve a user problem or to hopefully, or, or build something that is valuable to the business, hopefully both. But you have to be aligned around what that problem is. At, at the second hand, at the same time, if you're not bringing design in from the beginning, or you're not building an important stakeholder into the beginning, and it's just like, we've decided it, here's the architecture, now go design it. You're not going to attract the best designers because similar to engineering. If you're just in a big company and you're throwing a, a defined spec over the wall, who wants to work in that environment? People want to feel where like they have an input and they have a contribution to the success of an initiative. Um, and so if you don't put that stakeholder at the table as a decision maker from day one, including design and UX, then how are you possibly going to attract and retain the best talented people? You just won't. An organization is definitely a living, breathing thing that can morph based on the inputs that its employees and contributors have. Based on your experiences working with these two groups, the stakeholders and designers, how do you think designers can better work with stakeholders? I think one way is leaning into their understanding, trying to understand what stakeholders want. How can we communicate in a way that makes sense for stakeholders? How can we communicate in a way that designs translate into actual business value? Is there anything else that comes to mind for you from your experiences? Every culture is different and every sort of leader is different. I personally, from for, there's the advice of what I like to do and there's the, the other piece that's kind of the countered voice of what I don't like at all coming from, from anybody on, on the team or, or a company that I'm building. I think one is it's people giving subjective feedback to design and UX. Like everybody feels like they're entitled to have an opinion because it's design, right? And so you're like, I think this and I think this. Like, well, unless you're the user, like whatever. And so what I found <laughs> provides a healthier debate is when a designer presents two different options, even if one is terrible. Again, you don't have to use either one. Even if everybody's aligned on one and the designer likes the other one, you could pick the other one. But what it does, I think it facilitates a better debate. So instead of debating over like placeholder copy or like, you know, this color scheme or like, this little pixel, I'd like to be in this little pixel place instead. It kind of helps draw a better discussion when you're comparing and contrasting two different dimensions or two different experiences, because you can really start to pull in what is it specifically in your feedback that you like. It's not about the design and the UX. And so the way we try and do that is, which a lot of our designers don't necessarily like, and so we're not tied to it, but but I, I personally like it. 
is when we start abstracting away just at the wireframe level, like literally no components, no designs. And some designers say it takes longer once you have your component library, like in Figma built out, you can actually prototype faster using components. But when you start adding copy and you start adding design elements, you start adding components, you start having a subjective opinion about what the bright UX is. And so I actually like abstracting away completely colorless blank wireframes with no copy at all and just sort of buttons and layouts to make sure you have everything right. And then go let the designers and the front end teams go build what actually should happen. And so you, you abstract away the distracting feedback. That's what I think provides healthier one. But some people say it can make the work a little slower, but I think it depends on what the time frame is that you're thinking of slower. Maybe it's slower today, but I think long-term you get a healthier debate, which leads to a better outcome. And instead of shipping something fast and then having to iterate a ton, a ton of times. So as I look over the past decade of building companies, having a better upfront debate and alignment, and then letting people go do their job is in the long run healthier. The second piece though, my general view is designers have superpowers. like, uh, and, and that is an important thing to be able to pull out of people. But one of the things that is really frustrating to me across a lot of, this is not just design, this is engineering, um, design, data science, is when they're like designing for design sake. So it's purely subjective. It's not solving a user problem. Nobody asked for it. It's just constantly iterating down to the last little detail. Now, sometimes that's really important. Like there are moments of delight that are really important, but I would say those are pretty few and far in between. And so one of my biggest frustrations, just as advice for other designers out there, especially ones early in their career is use your superpowers and align it towards the problem you're trying to solve for the business. If you want to pixel fuck to your heart's content, do that in your free time on like a side project but don't do it in the work. If it takes three more days to get this little thing that nobody's going to notice that just drives you crazy, like get over it. Go on and ship to the next thing. Use your superpowers in a way that aligns to the best solution in a business. After I've hired hundreds of people and I do a lot of exit interviews at the end when people are moving on to the next opportunity or we've asked them to move on to the next opportunity, the thing that they always come back to isn't designing this one thing that probably in two or three years is going to get redesigned anyway. It's the thing that they built that had the biggest impact on the company's success. And so it's hard to hear that. That's why I'm saying it now. So hopefully somebody listens and it changes one designer's perspective. But I've I've interviewed hundreds of people. I've hired hundreds of people. I've fired hundreds of people. The thing that people always look back on the most is the thing that had the biggest impact on the business, not the thing that they architected the best way or designed in that moment the right way. Because design and architecture and code and products evolve. And the likelihood that whatever you're building now is going to exist in two to three years is not going to be anywhere near as important as that inflection point in the business that made that business go from a hundred million to a billion to a $10 billion outcome or enabled and unlocked that next opportunity of growth or profitability that allowed you to make those shares valuable or hire that next hundred people. People don't seem to realize how much rework gets created by building the wrong thing initially. Going back to the first part of your answer where you, uh, when you said that you're a fan of wireframing, just pure abstraction, that helps to prevent rework, right? It prevents yeah. designers from getting pigeonholed exactly. into seeing those minute little details that don't need fixation right now. That can come later once everybody agrees on that very high abstraction that's been created. Then you can start looking into, okay, what's that going to look like when it's more fleshed out? What are the interactions that we need to keep in mind for that? So those are all conversations that can happen later. All of those decisions can happen later as well. And when you remain in the abstraction early on, 
it prevents designers from getting married to their work, right? And then yeah, defending totally. it to the grave and not being able to let it go for the sake of crafting. They see it as craft instead of work, which is what it has to be. Work happens when you're able to understand the function of what you're trying to create, the problem that you're trying to solve. So I think that's a great point. I think it, it, it was very poetic in how you provided the chicken and the egg there. Well, there's like when, if uh, again, if we're taking the perspective of a, a, a somebody building software and like a software startup is that there's a certain skill set to building something in code that like I can't do. And while I readily admit I can look and speak in numbers, but design is a skill set that I do not have a bone in my body that's a design. And I have such an appreciation for designers. But at the same time, I can opine on copy and design because everybody can. And so how do you take a bunch of terrible perspectives like the opinions that I'm saying out loud and get those out of the way and just function on are we solving the problem and then let you go do your job and let you go do your superpower, which is like designing a great user experience and not being swayed by my opinion just because I happen to have the CEO title. Like I spend as much of my time trying to bite the inside of my cheeks, but every once in a while, like I have an opinion about design or copy and I probably shouldn't. Uh, and, and so how do we abstract that away so you can get what you need? Does this feel like the right flow? Does this get the user to solve the right problem? Does this have the right fields or inputs on the screen that are needed? Does this get the right output as fast as possible? Is this too hard? Is this confusing? But then let you go do your job and then bring it to life in this like magical way that makes the user experience great. And as a stakeholder, it's, I think as designers, important to keep what you said in mind about Every stakeholder, every person is going to have an opinion, but what are you going to do about that opinion, right? Part of your job is designing the experience between stakeholder and a designer, right? Designing the work experience that happens. So if you know that a certain stakeholder, like the CEO or maybe an investor, always has certain kind of inputs that they offer, maybe they obsess about copy. That's their thing. That's what you've noticed. Or maybe they're really finicky about placement. Then know that and prepare a design ahead of time that addresses all those things and then create an alternative design that's created with their preferences in mind. So that way you're smoothing everything over. You can get right down to business instead of everybody offering their opinions at the same time. You can account for them from the very start. Also, it makes you have to, sometimes it puts you in a position where you have to feel defensive, like you have to d defend about why you made that decision. And that's not like a, that doesn't facilitate a healthy discussion is if you have to now justify why you picked that way. Maybe you did have the time. Maybe you just, that's the first thing that popped your mind. Maybe you weren't given the flexibility to explore different opportunities and do research because there was a deadline or something. Um, and so the better that we can plan and the better we can take away the opportunities for unhealthy discussion, I think that's an important part of my job as CEO. I, listen, I don't get it right. It's not like, it's easier to say than it is to be done. But my job is to help facilitate the, the right process inside of the organization so that the teams are getting the best out of each other and people are able to do their best work. So I want to talk about puzzle. From a design perspective, what do you think has been the most important or the most valuable towards making puzzle an approachable and accessible product for users, especially given the fact that accounting can get really gnarly and, and sticky really quickly? Yeah, so another probable reason why I wanted design to be part of the process from, from day one is accounting is a, it's a, both a scary, opaque thing. Like to, to get your CPA requires six to seven years of studying and work. It's, it's mm -hmm. not easy and it's complicated. 
but it's also required by every single company in the entire world. So you have something that is both opaque and complex and confusing, is required, is not usually the background of most founders either, to be clear. So don't come from a CPA or a finance or accounting background. And then also has had a, a monopoly for 38 years, effective monopoly for 38 years. It's not like they're investing in design and improvements along the way. They don't have to. They have a monopoly. They can charge right. whatever they want. And what else are you going to do? So design had to be an input right from the beginning. So what the, the challenge that I gave to the team was, how do we make it so that a founder that knows nothing about accounting can get started all by themselves? And so we took a quite opinionated approach to onboarding that was a, a very guided experience that said anybody without any accounting or finance background within minutes can both set up their company, have their financial statements and metrics and everything they need for taxes or fundraising or just understanding your business automatically generated for you without needing any work. So currently right now, it takes on average two minutes for anybody, we've done it with hundreds of founders, to get That's started crazy. and set up their company. And you can see your cash and your burn and your runway and your financial statements and your cash flows and variance reports, meaning sort of difference. Your spend explorer, where are you spending money? What are the largest expenses? What are the largest vendors? What's changing? What's new? What's recurring? Um, what's your revenue by customer, by product? Everything. You don't need to do any work at all to get started and get CNC. So that was the first approach. The next approach is well, like your business is changing constantly. How do you make the experience such that anybody, as long as they know how to click, can understand their business health? Um, and so that was the next approach. And similarly, what we found out was you have to be able to click and explore your own business. And so any financial statement, any metric on our entire system, you can literally click down to the raw transaction. So if you want to understand your travel expenses, because Grace, you've been traveling around and you're doing whatever, you can literally understand it because I can see the airline trip or the restaurant you went to or the hotel you stayed at all the way up to travel expenses. And so as your business gets bigger and more complex, maybe you have multiple bank accounts, maybe you have bigger teams, maybe you have 30 people, maybe you have 100 people, maybe a thousand people, you can literally understand everything because you can trace everything down to the raw detail. So everything becomes understandable at some point. I spent money or somebody paid me money at its core. Mm -hmm. But if you had all of the details for everything coming down, all of a sudden it makes this really complicated thing fairly approachable and simple to get started. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like puzzle frees up founders to do what they need to do, which is run companies, build companies, instead of being bogged down trying to figure out the paperwork and archaic software, trying to figure out which transaction meant what or when did I do this. APIs, automation, and AI have come such a long way that combined with the right design, you can make having an understanding of your finances an advantage, an approachable advantage to every founder. And so when we think about what are we trying to accomplish is making companies better, is you're empowering everybody to understand. Take something that is really important and make it approachable, intuitive, and understandable. And that is all the design. It's almost like taking something that was a chore and turning it into a superpower, turning it into something exactly. that's indispensable to guiding the ship that is your business. And if you're a business owner, you, you want to make it more successful. And if you're a founder like me and you have employees, whether it's 10 or hundreds or thousands, you want to make sure your business is, is running as successful as possible. You have responsibility to yourself and to your employees and your partners and your shareholders. 
And that can be stressful. So how do we make it approachable, intuitive, and easy? I think it was really interesting to hear from a founder and a CEO's perspective about the experiences that you've had and all the lessons that you've learned from doing all those things, particularly the role of design and the impact that it could have from deliberate wielding of that. So thank you for coming onto the show. I think it's been a really interesting listen for not only myself, but uh, listeners as well. Thank you. It was great to be here. And I'm, I'm just in endless awe of designers. It is a skill set I don't have and I appreciate and I, I notice when things are designed in a great way across the web. And I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. And hopefully it's helpful for a couple of users. Thank you. This is Redesigning. <laughs>